bringing hope to many around the globe, transforming lives into legacy. Living Word with Pastor Mansa Otobi. And now, today's word. It is a great joy to fellowship with you this morning as we come before the Lord and come before the table of the Lord. Uh, this would be our second communion service in lockdown, uh, and we trust that our third will be in freedom, uh, because God is a God of freedom, and uh, he would uh, bring an end to this pandemic all over the world. I am persuaded that he is bringing the world through uh, this dark moment, and his light is shining all over the world once more. Well, as you know, a couple of weeks ago, two weeks ago, was Easter Sunday. We celebrated the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Last week, I spoke about the hope of the Christian. My tradition normally has been to preach around the Christian calendar. So when it's a time for Easter, uh, to preach around the theme of the moment. And when it's Christmas, we're going to preach around the theme of Christmas. So today, around the theme of Easter uh, and the resurrection of Christ, I'm preaching a message that I have titled, Christ Will Come Again. Christ Will Come Again. One of the questions people are asking during these times of COVID-19 is in relation to Jesus Christ's second coming, where I've heard uh, people make declarations uh, and relating what we're going through to the second coming of Christ. All of us have heard uh, some allusion one way or the other. And today I want to address the theme of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I got born again, had a born again experience in the early 1970s. And uh, anybody who was born again and in the scripture union evangelical circles in the 1970s, you would notice or you would remember that the main theme uh, that engaged the attention of Christians, evangelical Christians at that time, was the second coming of Christ. Uh, Almost every message uh, was preached around the theme of the coming of the Lord. The phrase Maranatha, meaning come Lord, was very prominent on the lips of Christians as we sought to prepare ourselves for the coming of the Lord. Uh, Most preaching at that time was around the concept of the Antichrist, 666, the beast, the mark of the beast, the tribulation, the millennial rule of Christ, and so on and so forth. These days, you don't hear much preach in those circles uh, around the subject. But in the 70s, it was a very prominent uh, um, message. So much attention was paid to calculating dates and numbers to uncover who the Antichrist was. In 1988, uh, somebody wrote a book uh, that was titled 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming in 88. And it was a huge phenomenon, especially uh, in the United States. Uh, People were preparing, people sold their properties, waiting for Jesus Christ to come uh, in September 1988. Unfortunately, uh, he didn't come in September 1988. And then that same person wrote uh, a second book, 89 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming in 89. I think by that time, people had given up on him. 
So, why do people always want to calculate uh, the coming of Christ and align it to epochal events? Like what we're going through when there is a shaking, when things are turned around, we begin to make calculations and permutations as to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, And so, I will address that and uh, I will tie it to a message that was delivered to the disciples of Jesus on the day of the ascension of Jesus, when Jesus was ascending to heaven. And the record uh, that I want to refer to is in the book of Acts chapter 1 and verses 6 to verse number 11. Acts chapter 1 from verse 6 to verse 11. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons, which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who said to them, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. The very interesting account about the ascension of Christ. Very little is said about this normally uh, because we talk about the uh, resurrection but very little about the ascension. But this is the ascension of Christ when he bodily uh, left the earth. The two important messages I want to uh, bring your attention to. The first is that Christ ascended from earth to heaven. He did not only resurrect from the dead, but he bodily ascended into heaven. It's a very important pillar in our Christian faith. And the second statement uh, is that Christ will return from heaven to earth. This is the message that the two heavenly beings gave to the disciples that this Jesus who is going up is also going to come down. Jesus spoke frequently not only about his death and resurrection but also his return. And so we're going to examine this passage and try to figure out how Christ is coming back. If Jesus is coming again How is he going to come back? And how are we supposed to respond to that idea? So how will Jesus return? It's a subject that has engaged Christians for the last 2,000 years. How will Jesus return? There have been many predictions. Uh, There have been Christian sects that have predicted uh, this coming, sometimes fixed dates. And unfortunately, those dates have come and gone, and uh, the Christ has not uh, returned. So how will he return? 
Let's consider the testimony of the angels, we presume, on that uh, occasion when Jesus ascended. The two beings that spoke to the disciples. Verse 11 says, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go. Now, what I want you to note is the phrase, this same Jesus, and that the second phrase, will come in like manner as you saw him go. They were very clear about how Christ was going to return. So let's take the phrases one by one. First is, this same Jesus. Say with me, this same Jesus. This same Jesus. This is a very important phrase. You could also uh, translate it to say, this very Jesus. This very Jesus. The Jesus you saw to heaven, in, go to heaven, will be the one who comes back. What does that mean? It means it will not be another individual. When he comes back, he will not be called by another name and he will not come as another person. It is this same Jesus. That also means that he will not come in another form. He will not come as a spirit. He will not come as an angel. He will not come as another being. He will come in the same form he was in when he went up. This same Jesus. He will not be another person. He will not come in another form. So when you hear things, people say, uh, there is a Jesus here and there is a Jesus there and Jesus has appeared in Bangladesh or Jesus has appeared in Malaysia or Jesus is now in Mauritania. You have to understand this Jesus is going to be the same Jesus. The same Jesus who bodily ascended is the same Jesus who, who is coming down. He will not be another person. He will not be called another name. And he will not be in another form. So how will he show up? The angels said. He will come in like manner. In the same manner. Listen to what they said. This same Jesus was taken up from you into heaven. Will so come in like manner as you saw him go. He will come in like manner as you saw him go. What does that mean? That his coming will be similar to his ascension. The way he will come will be similar to the way he ascended. Now, Jesus Christ spoke about his ascension. Uh, and, and in Luke chapter 21 verse 27, he says, And they shall see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. They shall see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Revelations 1, 7. Behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye shall see him. Even they who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. So, Jesus 
ascended bodily. And when we say he ascended bodily, it means he went in a body form. He didn't ascend as a spirit. He didn't ascend as an angel. He ascended in a glorified body, bodily. So if he's coming in the same manner, it means his return will also be bodily. The mature body form of Jesus is what will return. In his first coming, he was born in a manger. In his second coming, he will not be born somewhere else. It is the same form he went up in. It is the same form he is coming down in. So if somebody tells you a baby has been born somewhere and he is Jesus Christ coming again, that's false. That's not biblical. Because the Jesus did not ascend as a baby. He ascended as a full grown 33 year old bodied man. And he is coming back in the same manner. Not as a body to be built, to be born. He's not going to be conceived again by another woman. There's no woman anywhere who is going to give birth to Jesus Christ for his second coming. This same Jesus, he ascended bodily. He will come back bodily. Secondly, he ascended visibly. The disciples saw him going. They saw him being taken up. They saw the cloud receiving him. If he ascended visibly, he will return visibly. Revelations 1, 7 says, All eyes shall see him. He will not return in secret. In other words, Jesus would not come and we would not know he has come. He will not come in a secret and a light on a mountain somewhere. He is going to come visibly. And Revelation says, and all eyes shall see him. It will be a global spectacle. He will ascend bodily. He will return bodily. He will ascend visibly. He will return visibly. Thirdly, he ascended in a cloud. The disciples saw the cloud receiving him. He will return according to Revelations 1-7 with clouds from heaven. The same way. The same way he went when a cloud received him. When he's returning, he will also return with clouds. We are not sure how the cloud formation will be. But it will be clear enough that on every part of the world, people will see him. Now, that's something miraculous because one part of the world will be in daylight, another part of the world will be in darkness at the time of Jesus' coming, but all eyes shall see him. It could be that technology will pick it up, cameras will be able to show his coming and everyone will live stream it uh, or, or see it one way or the other. But the important thing is all eyes shall see him. It will not be a secret coming. The fourth thing, he ascended in power and glory. He will return with great power and glory. He will not come as a weak infant pursued by Herod or pursued by some king. He will come in full power as the judge of the world. This same Jesus, he's coming and it's not going to be a secret. So, if Jesus is coming, how are we to prepare for his coming? What are we supposed to do? I want you to 
Note the question that the angels asked the disciples. Why do you gaze up into heaven? In other words, when Jesus ascended, they kept looking up. And they, they weren't seeing him, but they were looking up. They were gazing into heaven. And, and, and the number of them, whichever number they were, were just looking up. Probably they'd been looking up for some minutes or some hours, but they were just looking up. And the angel came and said, why are you looking up? Why are you just living your life looking at the Lord who has departed? Why have you just fixed your eyes on his coming? Why are you just gazing up? The angel did not want the disciples only to look forward to going to heaven. They wanted them also to have something to do here on earth. So, What Christ wants us to do, his coming is real, his coming is near, but we should not spend all our time gazing up. We should not spend all our time just making calculations about when he's coming and thinking about his coming. Because there is a different attitude he wants us to have. In Luke chapter 19 uh, verse 11 to 13, Jesus spoke about a parable about the kingdom of God. And in verse 12 he says, he said, A certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And when and he called ten of his servants and delivered to them ten minutes. And he said to them, Do business till I come. Do business till I come. The old King James Version says, Occupy till I come. That phrase, do business in the New King James or occupy in the Old King James is from the Greek lemma, pragma teo mai. Pragma teo mai. What is pragma teo mai? If you listen to the Greek word pragma teo mai, if you listen to it closely, it, there's a sound there that is familiar in the English, in the English uh, uh, language and that word is pragmatism pragmateomai in Greek but when you listen to it it sounds like pragmatic in the Greek it means to be occupied with something it means to be practically involved in getting something done so Jesus says I go to heaven, I have ascended, but be practical. Don't just look up to heaven, be practical. Occupy till I come, do business till I come. Pragmateomai, be involved in doing something. So the Christian life must be lived not with theories and counting days and speculating about whether uh, a COVID experience is the second coming of Christ or Jesus is coming, calculating dates. It's not that. Pragmateomai is be practical. Don't be speculative. We must be involved in praxis, in action. He wants us to be occupied in his work. If something like this has happened to the world, And it makes us draw our minds to the coming of Christ. What are we supposed to do? 
Because I know a lot of you, a lot of Christians are concerned. Is Jesus is coming? What are we supposed to do? Well, the angel says, don't gaze up to heaven. And Jesus himself says, pragmatomai, be pragmatic, occupy, work, do something before I come. So what are we supposed to be doing before he comes? First, we're supposed to be preaching the gospel as a witness to the world. This is the church's mission. We have to use all forms of communication to make Christ known. We must be logical. We must be passionate. We must use ethical persuasions. We must reach this generation in the language they understand. On the day of Pentecost, each one heard the gospel in their native language. But when we talk about the gospel in people's language, it's not just about ethnic language. It's also about generational language. It's also about technological language. The church has to learn to speak to the world with modern technology, with science, with a new vocabulary that allows a new generation to appreciate the gospel of Christ. We cannot preach the gospel in the same old way. The gospel is the same, but the preaching of it must not be the same. The preaching of it must be relevant to every generation. We must be occupied with preaching the gospel. If there's anything that this whole episode has taught us, is for the church to expand its avenues for preaching the gospel. We're using social media. People are having church with different uh, applications. It doesn't mean that is how church will always be. But it has given us the evangelistic tools to preach the gospel in the language of this modern generation. And to preach the gospel on Facebook, on WhatsApp, using Zoom, using all the technology. This is what we have learned. That this gospel of Christ must be preached. And that is what pragmateomai means. Occupy. Get involved. Don't gaze up into heaven. Just waiting for him to come. In those days, uh, in the 70s, a lot of Christians were so concerned about the coming of Jesus Christ. Some did not continue their education because they felt they would not have completed before Jesus comes. Some did not buy land because they said it was unnecessary. Jesus was going to come. And many people have lived to regret the actions they took. We must not be an ignorant generation. We must be an informed generation. Jesus is coming again, but don't gaze to heaven. Don't speculate. Don't calculate dates. Don't, don't be so fixated on when is the Antichrist coming? What kind of injection is he going to give us and all of that? I understand the importance of all of that. But Jesus said, instead of speculating on the Antichrist, pragmateomai, Occupy till I come. Work. Preach the gospel. Speak the gospel. And the church must rise in a new way to preach the gospel. Not only must we preach the gospel, we must prepare the church as the bride of Christ to meet the Lord when he is coming. In the parable of the ten virgins, some were prepared, others were not prepared when the bridegroom showed up. The church must be prepared. We must not be concerned about when is he going to come. We must be concerned with when he, whenever he shows up, we are ready. Whenever he shows up, we are ready. That must be the attitude of the church. The church of Jesus Christ must know Christ. We must seek him. 
I think our Christianity has to take a little change from just seeking men of God and seeking people that we think God is using to seeking Christ. That I may know Him. That I may grow into Him. We must move from teaching and preaching just to make people happy. To grounding people in the doctrines of Christianity. Grounding people in their faith. We must get acquainted with the Holy Spirit. We must live our Christian life in a practical manner. The church must be the city that is set on a hill. The prophet Micah prophesied in Micah chapter 4. That the church... Is the mountain that is above all mountains. In other words, in this season, the church must be lifted up. The church of Jesus Christ must be exalted. The church is not going down. The church is rising. The church is going to be vibrant. The church is going to preach the gospel. People are going to be transformed. The church is going to be strong. We will not be running after here a miracle there, here a sign there. But we will be seeking an encounter with God that is real, that is authentic, that makes Christ himself manifested in our lives. Occupy till I come. Don't just gaze up. And I'm fascinated by all the permutations that people put together. Very nice analytical work. Thoughtful work, intelligent prognosis, but that should not be our fixation. Our fixation should not be gazing up to heaven and calculating when he is coming. Jesus may come today, he may come tomorrow, but he may also come a thousand years from now. We don't know. He himself says no one knows the hour. All we need to do is to be ready. At his first coming, nobody knew when he was going to be born. But the Bible says, in the fullness of time, God brought forth his son, Jesus. So there will be a fullness of time in God's own sovereign control when Christ comes again. But until then, pragmateomai, occupy, do business, work, preach the gospel, prepare the church. We must occupy by preaching the gospel. We must occupy by preparing the church. And we must also occupy by persevering in the face of persecution. We must know how to hold our ground in the face of global persecution. Because our world is becoming increasingly anti-Christian. We must know how to defend our faith in the public square. Not just how to run after things, but how to defend our faith. Our world is becoming more and more anti-Christian. They make allowance for other religions, but viciously fight the name of Jesus. In this time, we may not be thrown to lions like the early Christians were thrown to lions. But these days, they will throw us in mockery before the media. And they will try to make mockery of us and try to trivialize us. And try to trivialize everything we believe. Most institutions of our world are rapidly anti-Christian. They try to make believing in Christ seem like an abnormality. This is the new persecution. And in the midst of this persecution, 
We must prepare people who can stand and defend their faith. Who are anchored deep in their faith. Who know Jesus Christ as Lord indeed. Not people who run after things, run after a miracle, run after a sign. And when they are persecuted, have no basis to stand for their faith. We must not just follow Christ for what we get from him. We must follow him for who he is. And until Jesus Christ comes, we must preach the gospel. Prepare the church as the bride for Christ. And we must learn to persevere in the face of persecution. Because this persecution is not going to end. More and more the church will be trivialized. More and more the church will be mocked. More and more there will be parades of trying to mock us and scorn us. It's going to come from academia. It's going to come from science. And they're going to try to rubbish everything we believe in. Although they themselves have no answers. But the media is going to support it. That is the new persecution. And we must be ready to defend the faith and the name of Jesus in the face of a hostile world. So the Bible encourages us in the midst of all of this. In Hebrews chapter 10 verse 23 to 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. And not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. As is the manner of some. But exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. As we see the coming of Christ being imminent. The Bible says we must stay together. We must not forsake the assembling of ourselves. This time... Because of a virus, whether contrived or real, we have been locked down and we don't meet and assemble ourselves. But the time will come, this lockdown will be over. We must assemble ourselves. We must not just say we're going to stay in church online. It says when we see the day appearing, we must assemble ourselves. And we must exhort one another. And we must stir up love and good works. So my friends... In Christ. I announce to you the message. That the angels gave the disciples. On that day when Christ ascended. Why do you gaze up. Into heaven. This same Jesus. This same Jesus. Is coming in the same manner. That he went up into heaven. And whilst we wait. We don't rest. We don't gaze into heaven. We occupy. We work practically. We preach the gospel. We prepare the church to be the bride of Christ. And we persevere in the face of persecution. May, may the Lord find in us a generation of Christians. Who truly know Jesus. Who serve him. Who live for him. And who live out all our lives. To the praise and the honor and the glory of his name. May Christ Jesus be exalted in our lives this morning. As we serve him. May his kingdom come. May his will be done on earth. As it is in heaven. In Jesus name. Amen. And amen. As you know this morning. 
We also want to celebrate communion and to honor the Lord for the life that he gave to us through his body. And so we are going to partake of Holy Communion at this time. And we will encourage you as we partake of Holy Communion. It's not just a church ritual. It's a fellowship with Christ. This is one way in which Christ becomes real to us. He gave it to us and said, do this in remembrance of me. As we partake of the bread and the wine, we fix our minds on the reality of Christ Jesus. Our Lord, who died for us, rose again from the dead, ascended to heaven, and is seated at the right hand of all majesty. To all his enemies are made his footstool. And in the fullness of time, return to establish a new kingdom. Today, as we partake in this holy sacrament, may Christ be revealed to us in a very special way. I want you to pray wherever you are to prepare your hearts as we get ready to receive communion. And uh, since we are separated by distance, you can have some biscuit, some bread, savory biscuit. You can have grape juice or some unsweetened fruit juice. But whilst we partake of them, be conscious of the presence of the Lord Jesus. Thank you for listening to Living Word. To interact with Pastor Mensah Otebi, like his page on Facebook. Follow him on Twitter at Mensah Otebi. Email Otterville at centralgospel.com or call plus 233-302-688-000.